Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football podcast with me, Michael Dryden, and Etches Adokwu. Etch, how are you? I assume you're as disappointed as me about the curtailment of the League One season. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm well, thank you. Um, it wasn't a good result for Sunderland's. No, we went yeah. down a place from 7th to 8th. Yeah. We're outside the playoffs. Uh, Wickham went from 8th to 3rd. <laughs> Pretty good for them, but yeah. Sunderland are spending another season in the third tier of English football. Yeah, my, so, th- my thoughts are with you and uh, the majority of other Sunderland fans. I'd be fuming <laughs> if that were, were Arsenal. <laughs> um, apart from that, I'm doing well. Um, played a lot of pro clubs this week. Nice, nice one. On FIFA, yeah. Been, I've made the centre-back position my own, so I've been playing quite well. Really, what sort of centre-back are you? Ball-playing defender, a librero? Yeah. Um, limit, uh, limited defender, I assume. More of a limited <laughs> defender. So to give a bit of context, uh, on pro clubs, you control only one player on FIFA rather than the whole team. So I play with a few mates. And yeah, you could say I'm the new Yapstam, so I'd go for... Right, okay. Yeah, that's nice. kind of how I see myself um, on the pitch. <laughs> Apart from that, um, I've had a troubling knee from running right. for a few weeks now, and it's still not going away. Um, I feel like I should share that because it's really been bothering me. Right, so. okay, so you've taken to virtual sport yeah. as an alternative. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's very, it's very... Uh, very logical. Yeah, yeah, cheers. So hopefully that uh, that heals itself in a few weeks. Um, so yeah, not too much else going on. How are you doing, Dryden? I'm not bad. Nothing's changed. Still in lockdown. Uh, La Liga's back and so is Serie A to an extent. So I've been quite excited for that. So it's a bit of change. Premier League's coming up, which is great. Obviously, Sunderland are spending the season in League One. So nice. I'm upset about that. Um, but yeah, we're hopeless. So, I mean, what can you do? We don't deserve to go up. We don't deserve playoffs. So we just want to hope that eventually we become Wolves and Sheffield United and get out the league, basically, and try and resurge in the championship. I mean, to be fair, if we did go up this season, there's a chance we get relegated again. That's, yeah, that's far more detrimental. Teams like Wolves and Sheffield United have came up and then went up again very quickly because yeah. they built a team in League One that then went the whole way rather than building a team mm. just to get out the league, mm. then just stalling in championship, which is a very difficult leave to get promoted from now. Yeah, the last thing I want is another re- relegation because I don't want to see tears. I saw, the, true. I saw the tears from you last uh, time. Yeah, I, I, cry, I cry very easily. Yeah, so, um, don't want to see that again. Yes, um, and I've also been researching. Um, so last last week's pod, I um, on E Triple P, the Elite Player Performance Plan, I mentioned Simon Davis and Matthew Etherington. I referred to them as mercurial talents. Um, and I was wondering what that meant. And, well, what I found on, on Google is, the definition is it is something that is subject to sudden or unpredictable changes of mood and mind. Okay. So, which I think makes sense because I think it means it's a really unpredictable player. But I don't think, so someone like Ronaldinho, I don't think he's mercurial. No. Because he's so good Hmm. that that it kind of removes the unpredictability. He is consistently good, even Hmm. though he's a very tricky player. Someone like Ricardo Quaresma, for example, is Hmm. inconsistent, which I think makes him more unpredictable and therefore mercurial. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah. So I've just always wondered what things like that, these terms you see in the game, mm. mean. And uh, that, yeah, that was it. I bet Phil and his dog was dying to know the answer to that one. So you do like Phil. Phil's yeah. very, very popular for you. Yeah, I do like Phil. Um, so today, Etches will be looking into why Shakhtar Donetsk has become a hotspot for Brazilian talent over the years, how that relationship is perceived in Ukraine, and how successful the model has been for the club. Before we start. Please follow us at YFootball underscore for information on future episodes, amongst other interesting points and discussions. So, Etch, who are Shakhtar and what is the Brazilian link? Well, to start off um, when doing the research, I actually found out that Shakhtar's nickname is the Miners. 
which I really mm. liked. Uh, so throughout this pod, I might refer to them as Shakhtar, Shakhtar Donetsk, the Miners, uh, or just the lads, depending on how I'm feeling. I really yeah, make sure you write that down. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for telling me that. Um, so who are Shakhtar Donetsk? They're a Ukrainian football team who play their football or played their football sorry in Donetsk until 2014. Mm. Then the Donbass War broke out, so they ended up moving. And now they play their matches and their training base is in Kiev. Mm. They're the current Ukrainian champions uh, and they've won the title overall on 12 occasions. They're in the last 16 of this year's Europa League after beating Benfica, who are a good side, mm. in the last 32. And they're managed by a Portuguese native by the name of Luis Castro. Mm, nice. Uh, so moving on to the Brazilian link. Or the well Bra- said. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to the Brazilian point you mentioned, uh, we have to go back to 2002, where Damien Luiz and Brandao became the first Brazilians to play for the minors. Uh, and I'd like to ask you a quick question. How many Brazilians do you think have played for Shakhtar Donetsk since then? Um, no pressure. Uh, 35. That's incorrect. Oh, cool. uh, yeah. The answer is actually 32, which, oh, is, which is a lot. It's a lot, yeah. 32. It is, it is a lot of people since 2002, is that? Yes. And after Vieira made his debut for Arsenal in 1996, 28 other Frenchmen have made their debut in a much larger time mm. frame to put into scale about how many Brazilians have played for Shakhtar in such a short space of time. Yeah, and, fr- and the French players are so synonymous with Arsenal as well. Mm. Like, that connection is constantly made. And yeah. so for, them, for more to have been, more Brazilians to have been at Shakhtar, mm. that really is an interesting point. So there are a fair few Samba stars that you would have heard of that came to prominence at Shakhtar. So the likes of William, who's currently at Chelsea, Fernandinho, that City fans I know very well, Fred, who's had his comeback season at Man United, mm. Bernard of Everton, Luis Adriano of things formerly of AC Milan. Yeah, he was, yeah. And Douglas Costa. <laughs> he, he gets his own line because he has, I've showed Ryan about a hundred times. There's this clip where he just sends Bellerin into 2022 with a piece of skill. <laughs> and it's just outrageous when he's playing for Bayern Munich. Yeah, double step over and then just yeah. to hit with his left. Yeah. Goes back the opposite way through Bellerin's legs. Uh, but Sends he, him for a hot dog. Exactly. He is another one who came through Shakhtar as well. And their current squad has 11 Brazilians That's in crazy, it. isn't it? 11. They have a squad of 25. Yeah. But people who have played FIFA a fair amount know about the four-star Shakhtar team that took seasons by storm. Mm, so I look back and it was FIFA 2015 where he had Luiz Adriano, Bernard, Tyson, who's still there, mm. Texera and Douglas Costa on that team. So obviously on seasons, if you know FIFA well... If you're a four-star team, you're likely to play against other four-star teams or four and a half or three and a half. So if you've got essentially the best of that star rating, then you're going to do well. So they had players that had pace, mm. dribbling skills, uh, four or five-star skill moves. So you've just taken teams apart when you're coming up against, well, at that time, Sunderland. <laughs> <laughs> you're coming up against Lee Catamore and you've got Tyson playing central midfield. You know mm. him for a good day. <laughs> so how did this relationship begin? Yeah, the relationship started with a manager called Mircea Lucescu. Uh, he was a former Romanian international and Stoyer Bucharest player. And he was fascinated by the Brazilian sides of the 70s. And he actually had a loan move to Fluminense of Brazil blocked. Mm. Uh, so what he really, really liked was he admired the Brazilians for their style and the flair that they brought. So if we fast forward to 2000s, 
when Lechescu is managing FC Porto, he managed to sign a striker called Mario Yardel from Porto using a French agent by the name of Frank Hanodu. Frank himself was a French-Brazilian football agent, mm. and this is a really, really key point. We're going to fast forward a little bit more to when Lechescu moved to Shakhtar. And at the time, Shakhtar Donetsk were a little bit behind their main rivals, Dynamo Kiev. So he was tasked with not only toppling Kiev, but his long-term aim was to win a European trophy, which was also what the owner wanted. Mm. He then stated that in order to do so, he needed flair players to complement the sturdy, solid, reliable players that Ukraine had to offer. So in the end, what they decided were, where can we go to sign these players that have flair around the world for relatively cheap? And they looked towards Brazil. So with the president backing with the money and with Hanodu as his connection in South America, he decided to turn his attention there to start taking up some talent. Mm. I'm surprised to hear that it began so long ago. Mm. Um, I think I'd, I would assume it'd be the last 10 years when a lot of the players that I mentioned, you mentioned earlier, came into the club. I wasn't aware that it went back so long and mm. that that tradition still exists today. It's quite, quite interesting that it is still a thing today. Um, because it's easy to assume on that point that it's just a crazed owner coming in, crazed wealthy owner, comes into a club, doesn't know anything about football. Oh, what should I do? How do I win? Oh, I'll buy some Brazilians. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's the assumption we make when we look at this, but there's actually seemingly a lot more to it in terms of who's came in, what kind of philosophies came into the club. And it seemingly worked. So how do Shakhtar recruit Brazilian players? Do they have a base or a network in Brazil? Yeah, initially Shakhtar opted to sign known promising youth players from Brazil, mm. like Yadson, who was once heavily linked to the Arsenal, literally like every summer. <laughs> like every and, other player. Yeah, very much. <laughs> in world football. Yeah. And Fernandinho, obviously, who's now at City. But since then, as time has gone on, I mean, those two signed in, I think, 2005. Mm. Since then, they've established a really strong connection with some Brazilian sides there, as well as more agents. We touched on the connection with Frank Canudo earlier, but mm-hmm. they've since um, incorporated other agents into the mix, so they have a very strong base there. Yeah. The idea of this is that they're now better equipped to find the next big thing, so they can pay even less for them to come to Europe, rather than pay slightly more than what they would do which a good example would be the signings of Teixeira and Douglas yeah, Costa, yeah. who were signed for €6 million Euros each, compared wow. to Yadson and Fernandinho, who were signed for about 25 together. So a bit more than yeah, the other yeah. two signings. Uh, who, who owns the club? Are they wealthy? Yeah, um, the club is owned by a Ukrainian billionaire called Renat Akhmetov, who's roughly worth, I think, €5.7 billion. US dollars. It's not so bad. A lot of money. Mm, a lot of money there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, for it, a young player in Brazil, uh, a move to Europe may become a necessity, but also might be quite daunting, do you think? Like, you know, if you're, if you're 16, 17, you're playing in Brazil, you've, ideally, I mean, whilst your league is, you know, it's well supported, there is a bit of money in the game, um, it's quite prestigious. And for a lot of players in Brazil, a move to Europe is seen as really the, the windfall, is seen as worth a big break. But once that initial group was formed, then they're actually probably a very appealing prospect for a young Brazilian. Yeah, great. Because you've got a group, as you say, 11 Brazilian players there, mm. all speaking Portuguese. Uh, as you said, you've got a, a Portuguese-speaking coach, coach Luis yeah. Castro. Um, so actually, they now become a, you know, an ideal place to go. As you said, they've got the capability to buy, um, to pay these fees, to pay these wages. 
Yeah, no, um, I completely agree. I think the acceptance in South America now is more that for your for you to establish yourself as one of the best in the world or one of the best in your position or to win international titles, the norm is you must leave South America. I think for a lot mm. of these players, it's not necessarily going to a top five. It's now actually going for other routes, whether it's via League 1 or the Portuguese League. Where they're likely to play as well. Yeah, where they're likely to pay to then go on the next step up, which could be Juventus, Munich, City, yeah. Liverpool. Yeah. So it's all seen as like a slow road to them reaching the top, I think. So what gives Shakhtar an edge over other clubs when signing these players? Yeah, Shakhtar's big selling point is obviously they're backed by a billionaire owner. Mm. So they can offer superior or equal financial packages. I'm aware that was the case with when they signed Willian. They were really competitive compared to other clubs that were in for him. Mm-hmm. They also have very good facilities. Um, unfortunately, the facilities they had in Donetsk were said to be state-of-the-art. <laughs> now they're... Yeah, well, now they can't, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, now they can't play there. Yeah. But the facilities in Kiev are still very good and are higher than the level than they're at in Brazil. And also, it gives the Brazilians an opportunity to play regularly in European football, whether that's yep. the Champions League group stage or latter stages, as well as the Europa League. Another point with Shakhtar is they're said to be very relaxed when it comes to player departures. So when these players want to play for bigger sides, Shakhtar are said to be quite happy with letting them go because they know that they can benefit and profit. So from when they bring sale. these players in, they say, yeah. look, we, we know that this is not, yeah. not going to be here forever, yeah. but you come in, you play three, four years with us, exactly. help us grow. Yeah. Exactly. So the agreement works well in both ways. The Brazilians get to showcase their skills to top-class sides in the Champions League and Europa League, and then Shakhtar get to profit from their sales and can reinvest elsewhere. Mm. Their top five sales ever equates to around 190 million on Fred, Alex Teixeira, Douglas Costa, William and Fernandinho. Mm. And the five were bought for roughly 50 million, wow. which is a massive, <laughs> massive profit. Well, Fernandinho, William, Bernard and Fred have all ended up in the Premier League for big clubs, as you said, for big fees. And are now themselves on large contracts. Obviously, William yeah. was there. Uh, William was... Um, <laughs> Was having a medical at Spurs and then was swooped, <laughs> swooped out at Chelsea. A brilliant, brilliant day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you counted that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and William and Fernandinho in particular have won a lot of silverware yep. and have represented their countries on many mm. occasions. So um, obviously, we don't know what would have happened if they hadn't went to Shakhtar, but it seemingly has worked out really well for them. Um, so it's yeah, it's a proven stepping stone, as you said. Without the bad blood or mess that may ensue, should the player into Europe via another club. Yeah. So if they come to a club and this kind of understanding doesn't exist, mm. uh, even if they're there for four or five years, you know, they could be, you know, at the, at the end of that, it could get quite messy. Yeah. That might be quite difficult for the player to handle. That might affect their future move as well. If the club mm. is so hesitant to sell you, yeah. how do you make that move on? If they if they price out some teams, for example. Yeah, I think uh, what I'd also like to point out is how successful it has been for Shakhtar. So 11 of their 12 uh, Ukrainian Premier League titles came after Luchescu's arrival after mm. 2002. Um, they also won the old UEFA Cup in 2009. And that team had quality throughout. It had William Wide, Fernandinho in the middle, yeah. Dario Serna at the back, and Luis Adriano. <laughs> yeah, I know. I forget about Dario. And Dario's. Uh, Luis uh, Adriano lurking up top. 
Yeah, Lewis Adjano scored five goals in one match versus Bate Borisov in 2014, which is crazy. Five mm. in one game. Not as good as Lewandowski five, but it's in the Champions League. Uh, he went on to play for AC Milan, um, following the footsteps of fellow Brazilian and FIFA Ultimate Team legend, Alexandre Pato. Ah, Pato, Fabrizio Michele and Antonio Di Natale were legendary. Yeah, I know all three will be listening, so if you are, just a yeah. shout out from us. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of a change of angle. How have some of the Brazilian players who have now left Shakhtar spoken of their time there? Was the move a positive one for their careers? Yeah, I think due to the understanding between both parties, the manager speaking Portuguese and the Brazilian mm. influence at the club, I think the majority of the Brazilians feel at home there. Yeah. I mean, before Luis Castro actually joined uh, Paulo Fonesca, uh, now Roma coach, I think, also spoke Portuguese. Mateo Luchescu also spoke Portuguese. So that's been consistent now since 2004 yeah. when Luchescu joined. I think if you look at players like Fernandinho, who captained the side, and Douglas Costa, the hot dog merchant, they've both <laughs> spoken very, very fondly of their time there. Yeah. I think Fernandinho in particular uh, was said to be very fluent in Ukrainian, highlighting yeah. how much effort some of these players actually put into immersing themselves in the Ukrainian culture. Yeah, because as we've touched on, I think the assumptions that we make with all of this is that these players are going there. They don't want to go there, but they go there because it's a gateway into the European football world, which obviously is very lucrative. But Fernandinho and Luis Adriano spent eight years at Shakhtar. Mm. It's a long time. That's most of their career. Yeah, very. Uh, Tyson is still there. has been there since 2013. Bernard was there for five years. And William and, William and Alex Texera were there for six years. Like If you actually didn't like being there, didn't like the culture, didn't make an effort with the language, you weren't enjoying your time there, I don't think you'd stay there for more than a few years. Even if it was good for your career, mm. you're spending most of your career there anyway. What's the, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it doesn't. It becomes more than a stepping stone, I think, if you're spending five to eight years mm. at the club. Um, yeah, so I think it's really interesting. I think there's a lot of assumptions with this entire topic that I think we have kind of we've kind of tarnished a bit from what we talked about, like kind of you know dispelled. Mm. Yeah, I think um, one of the big things from this is obviously Donetsk now play in Kiev. Yeah, that's a good point. Rather than obviously Donetsk where they played before, which was Ukraine's fifth biggest city. So I think playing in the capital could be really beneficial for them in terms of attracting these talents. If you, Obviously, if you look back in time, that didn't affect Fernandinho and it didn't affect Willian, etc. Yeah. But going forward, it'll be really positive for these guys to think, okay, we're coming to the capital of Ukraine. That's a bit more appealing than maybe the fifth biggest city. But I think it's more than that. It's actually the culture yeah, that's absolutely. been built up, which you touched on. Yeah. Uh, because obviously these players beforehand didn't have an issue of that at all. And I think that culture is really really important and if they can maintain that then these Brazilians or Southern Americans will be coming to stay for a long time mm, yeah absolutely so what do the Shakhtar fans and Ukrainians generally think of the Brazilian invasion yeah as long as Shakhtar keep winning fans don't seem to actually care uh, they're very happy that their side is recognized as an Eastern European powerhouse mm. You know, they're always in the Champions League, sometimes get to the latter stages and won the UEFA Cup um, back when it was called that, I think 2008, 2009. A fair few Brazilians as well have achieved legendary status there, like Yadson and Fernandinho. 
and a little bit similar actually to Catamol at Sunderland. Yeah, yeah absolutely. it's a really good comparison there. Yeah, so Fernandinho, Catamol, quite similar. Well, profile. point taken, but I just, I just get a bit tired sometimes of the Catamol and Fernandinho comparisons. Like, I think, like, um, you know, these are their own players, and you know, Catamol is very much a, a pioneer of yeah. the of well the, the destructive CDM. Mm. Um, has Fernandinho ever reached that level? I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure. Mm. I'd say no personally. So yeah. you know, it's like it's like the whole Arsenal thing with the when are they going to get the next Vieira? Yeah. Well, you know, football changes. So yeah. I think yeah, yeah, I'm tired of that comparison. Yeah. In another era, <laughs> in another era, Catamol's playing for England a hundred times and captain. In my so, dreams. Yeah, in your dreams and in another era. <laughs> um, but uh, if you look at the league as a whole, the only real side to challenge the miners is Dynamo Kiev. Yeah as they've collectively won every league since 1992. Kiev have also tried to do the same sort of thing um, by importing from South America. So Dynamo Kiev have actually imported 19 Brazilians mm. since 2001. Examples being Dudu, who's now at Palmeiras and has played for Brazil, I think four or five times. Yeah. And Rafael, who's a bit more well-known at Mönchengladbach yeah. in Germany. But these players haven't been as successful as the miners. Yeah. They haven't reached the levels of Fernandinho, mm. Willian, Douglas Costa. I mean, they've won leagues of the players. I'm not saying that they weren't any good, yeah. but it doesn't have that cult following or that level of success that Shakhtar have achieved. Yeah. And when you look at other clubs like Metalist Kharkiv, uh, they bought some Brazilians as well before they dissolved. And what I'm trying to get at here is that Shakhtar Donetsk aren't the only club in um, Ukraine that are mass importing and Ukrainians themselves don't seem to care as long as these foreign imports from South America or in particular Brazil improve their respective sides and actually deliver success. Yep. With all the Southern American imports, in particular Brazil, you've got to think, is it sustainable? Mm. You know, Can this go on for the next 20 or 30 years? Because can Shakhtar Donetsk continuously have Portuguese managers that are willing to come to that yeah. part of the world? Can they continuously have a scouting network in Brazil that is always ahead of everyone else in terms of unearthing talent? Yeah. Will they be able to match them in terms of money? For example, we're saying that Renat Akhmetov is worth $5.7 billion. Uh, Stan Kroenke at Arsenal is worth $10 billion. Um, yeah. Rebramovich is worth $12 billion. What if these guys start buying out the rest of the Ukrainian teams? Yeah, what, absolutely. What happens then if they can't bid, outbid them? Their positive or what works in their favour is ease of Champions League football, really superior packages, but there are many sides in the Eastern European front that could probably match that. And if they had the right financial backing, could end up doing that. Yeah, uh, a lot of the European leagues uh, have a cap as well on the number of non-EU players that can be registered in their squad. So an example would be on the match day squad. Um, so an example would be La Liga have mm. max five in their squad to be registered for this coming season at the yep. 25. And then in the actual match day, there's a maximum of three non-EU players. Mm. Um, so I assume someone like Messi is a citizen of Spain that would count. Um, but then if you're bringing in these young Brazilians, they're not going to become citizens for a good number of years. Yep. You can't have as many in the match day, the match day squad. That's different across the leagues. I don't think Germany, for example, has that same kind of strict um, restrictions. Although most leagues, or the top five leagues, have some sort of criteria for getting homegrown players involved, um, so that can be that could be a, a restriction on that. So that, to an extent, could protect their model. Um, but when you see, especially like think of China, mm. <laughs> if they start doing that, 
then that is major competition. And we've seen a lot of South American players, largely established players, already going to China. Yeah. Um, and any other n- upcoming national league. Yep. Yeah, it does. It does protect Shakhtar to an extent. I just think it's really dangerous relying on foreign imports to improve your team constantly mm. as the main source. I think you really need to look at your academy as well to supplement that. Um, and also on a, on a wider arc, the Ukrainian national team has been quite poor for a while. And you wonder whether the revenue from these big stars being sold would be better off being used in the club's academy so yeah. they can attempt to produce the next Shevchenko or Timoshuk. I'm aware as well that when I'm doing this research, Shakhtar Donetsk reached the final of the UEFA Youth League, but I find it hard-pressed that their forwards are all predominantly or nearly all Brazilian. Really? Yeah, so obviously that team back then that got to the final would have had Ukrainian strikers, wingers, etc. Yeah. Why can't those players be brought through into the first team fold? There's many reasons for this. Obviously, clubs and countries have completely different agendas. You can't really tell a club to help build the next Ukrainian national team because their concern is primarily winning domestic uh, trophies and European competitions. But I feel that if they went down that route to use the revenue from the sales into the academy, they could become more self-sustainable. They really struggled, actually, at Donetsk to recruit when the Donbass war broke out because many of the Brazilians wanted to leave and a few were hesitant to sign because the yeah. country is seen as dangerous. And then that was a massive issue for Shakhtar. And having a powerful academy would have helped alleviate some of those issues because then they could say, okay, we've actually got X, Y, Z coming through. We may not necessarily need to sign ABC, for example. Yeah, agreed. And while this has been, this is, this um, arrangement has been in place since, as you said, since the early 2000s, mm. It still seems like it's a short-term solution to grow the club and to take that to the club into like the the Europa League and Champions League level that yeah. they're obviously aspiring to and the fans you said aspire to, but it doesn't help um, encourage greater participation for players in Ukraine if all the teams are doing similar things, um, and that that'll feed down to coaching and investment to infrastructure. Um, if there's not an encouragement overall to have young Ukrainian players playing football, then that's obviously going to have a negative effect on the national team if they're if the entry is the significant barriers to their entry coming mm. to these clubs and playing first team football. So yeah, obviously um, it's not the responsibility of Shakhtar Donetsk to help improve their national team, but it's interesting how their arrangement and similar ones like it can affect national teams. So thanks Etches for doing the research this week. And thank you all for tuning in to this week's Why Football podcast. Please, please, please do not forget to follow us at YFootball underscore on Twitter for future content. However, it could just be me next week. Uh, depends on the number of hot dogs that Bern Leno is sent for midweek against Man City with the restart of the Premier League. If you have some spare time, uh, please put Arsenal in your prayers. We all will be. We all will be. All right, then cheers, guys. Cheers, and we'll guys. hope to see you next week.